If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Tess. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And the case that we have today shines a light on the importance of mental health and making resources available for minorities and people of color. According to a 2020 scholarly article written by Norma Giazzi, Yerza Azar, and Jasper Singh, People with mental illness are more likely to be a victim of violent crimes than the perpetrator. Though the case we discussed today deals with the mental state of the perpetrator, this is far from the regular occurrence. While today's episode is a bit harder to hear, it is our hope that healthy conversations about mental health will occur, creating a happier and healthier tomorrow. So let's jump right in with our players. We've got two players today. Our first is Trang Fung Ho. She is 20 years old. She is a Harvard pre-med student, and she is a Vietnamese refugee. And we also have Sinadu Tedesi, a 20-year-old Harvard pre-med student from Ethiopia. And this is our murderess. Today's episode takes place on the campus of the esteemed Harvard University in 1995. Trang Fung Ho was born right after the Vietnam War ended in Saigon. As many of you can imagine, the lasting consequences of Americans in Vietnam can still be seen today. So right after the war ended, North Vietnam troops came and they took over Saigon. Even after we left, they were still going through a lot of shit and turmoil in their country, right? And they were trying to find refuge in America. But it's not as easy as just booking a flight and leaving. The whole family tried many times to escape Vietnam, but they were always caught and brought back to their country. Finally, their dad came to the hard conclusion that there was only one way, and that would be to split up. Chang and her father and the older sister successfully escaped aid at a refugee camp in Indonesia for almost a year before touching American soil. The boat ride was already harsh. There's no room to sit. Everyone's standing on the boat. I read somewhere that the boats were also attacked by pirates, so there's that. While at the refugee camp, the two older girls were practicing their English, but their father also made them cut their hair and pretend to be boys the entire year to protect them from being victims of sexual assault, which is crazy. Like, here, be a boy so nobody will fuck with you, you know? It's also was, like, super common. Exactly. It's super common everywhere. Like, women are mistreated everywhere. Oh. This half of the family, they finally settled in Boston, where Trang attended Boston Technical High School, and she became the valedictorian. It took years for her mother and other siblings to make it to America, but when they did, the family reunion was not joyful at all. Almost immediately, their mother was accusing their father of cheating. They were arguing constantly, and an inevitable divorce was on the horizon. I can't imagine what it's like to be growing up young, and there's literally a war going outside of your window. Um, not only a war going on outside of your window, but then also a war going on inside of your house. Like, 
you get out of that war zone and now you're home like your safe place is now this place of conflict you know right like we got out of war and now we're arguing in the house like right. are we ever safe even as a young child the permanent damages of these environments can be severe so i read an article by abby hegleg which she wrote in the daily beast and she said that conflict zones create stressful environments and these stressful environments can have prolonged trauma on the child so now let's get to Sinadu. Senadu Tedese was born in Ethiopia during the Derg dictatorship. During this regime, the rulers were living this lavish life, but there was a wide famine. Everybody was hungry. There were literally skeletons on the street. Do you remember in the 70s and 80s when it was like, eat your food because they're starving children in Africa? Yeah. They got that from because there was a famine in Ethiopia. Or they say, you're not starving. There's kids in Africa who would love this food. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. But even though there was a wide famine in the country, Sinadu's family lived a pretty decent life, despite the fact that her father ended up going away to prison for war crimes at the time. And when she was young, she tried to help her mother out as any way that she could. She was like, Mom, what do you need? I want to work. I want to help. But her mom was like, no, get your education, focus on school, because like we always know, education is your ticket out. When her father came home from war, he was different. You know, he had just been in prison for war crimes at a time where there was a lot of turmoil in a country. The family was very, very close, but they kind of had this like war mentality. Like you can't trust anyone. Don't trust the person down the street. Don't trust anybody outside of this house. It's us and us alone. She was discouraged from playing with other kids. She basically was in her house studying, and that was it. So that's what she did. Senadu studied very hard, and she actually was one of the top two smartest kids in Ethiopia. She got a Fulbright scholarship to Harvard. Imagine being one of the top two smartest kids in your entire country. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Like, I I'm just not that smart. <laughs> I haven't been the top in anything academic. But she was known as a person that engulfed herself in her studies, right? She finally felt like, wow, this is such a great accomplishment. Like, I'm from Ethiopia. I've worked hard in my ticket to America and not just America. I'm going to freaking Harvard. So both Trang and Sinadu were set to go to Harvard. And they're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. The girls weren't roommates their first year, the freshman year, but they were both adjusting to this new world on Harvard. Brilliant-ass kids. The rigor of Ivy League can kind of put a damper on I, I can imagine do you remember those ivy kids in high school like i took they were invisible well not to me and it was hard in regular college yeah and in regular college too it's a lot your freshman year the adjustment doing ivy i just couldn't imagine in your second language there's just so much adjusting that they had to go through trang was thriving socially she made friends with other students from vietnam she volunteered at homeless shelters she even had a work study Sinadu also had a work study in a lab, but she was not doing great socially. She had a roommate, Anna, that she really enjoyed, but she didn't find a group of friends, like a clique. She was having trouble adjusting to the social norms of Americans. And when invited out, she just wasn't able to socialize. That was... Yeah, like small talk and being able to... I feel you, because small talk is not my zhuzh. I mean, but like also when we're younger, we're at least taught the practice or the act of small talk right yeah I'm, I'm trash at it her her way of like releasing you know i got you to talk to and i lay it all out to you or whatever but she didn't have that so she laid it all out in a journal you know she would take notes about how americans talk to each other and how they interacted and she would be super aware of her actions it's like a lot of pressure as 
an adult or as a late teen trying to teach yourself social cues that you never understood and in learning that social cue you come across mad weird right because you're expected to already know this it's like you at your big age don't understand that you're standing too close to me like girl back the fuck up you know what i mean yeah but it's also one of those things that are taught because yeah even as children with the parents when we're learning those cues we were going outside yeah going through her story i can feel the pressure that she's putting on herself after freshman year anna decided look I don't want to be roommates anymore with Sinadu. And this was pretty crushing for Sinadu because it felt like rejection. Once again, those social cues. But also, like, friend, you know, I went to boarding school in eighth and ninth grade. And then I did dorm life all through undergrad. So, like, that moment of I've been on the receiving and the giving end of (laughs) telling somebody that we can't be roommates anymore because of their actions. And it does feel like rejection. Like, I remember my first roommate in boarding school was like, I don't like rooming with you. And I I felt, like, really shitty. But when we stopped living together, we became best friends, you know? You can't live with everybody. No, you cannot. She was pretty upset that Anna didn't want to be her roommate. And she was writing in her journal, like, really mean things to Anna. Like, fuck her. I hate her. You you stink. Dear Darla, I hate I your stinking, stinking guts. guts. <laughs> like, all of that stuff about Anna. Because, I mean, she felt, even though she wasn't social, she did feel rejection. She felt like Anna threw her to the wayside. It's the summer between freshman and sophomore year. Summer of 93. Sinadu, she stays with some family that lives in the United States, and she got a job at a lab, and all that's, like, looking good for her, but she's still extremely quiet. She's still not really socializing. She's with her extended family, not her close family, so there's still, like, no closeness, no close bond that she has with anybody. She's still feeling very isolated, and, you know, what is that song? Feeling Lonely. When I'm alone. You know, what's that song? Things makes me think of the Tupac poem. Sometimes when I'm alone, I cry because I'm on my own. The tears I cry are bitter and warm. They flow with life, you but better. take no form. <laughs> if I had an ear to confining, I would cry amongst my treasured friends. But who do you know that stops that long to help another carry on? It's so sad, but sometimes I cry and nobody cares. That's why. Damn. Damn. That's what this episode is all about. Pac be knowing. But like... I don't know. There's some song and it talks about being around people, but still feeling lonely. Like you ever been in a crowd of people and feel so fucking isolated. You can say, yeah, she's with family, but she still feels incredibly lonely, incredibly anxious, just sad as fuck. She writes this long letter and she's crying out desperately for friendship or any type of companionship. And she would like search random names and addresses in a phone book and she would send letters out. She wrote a pretty long letter, but we clipped out some interesting parts. Well, why am I writing this letter? Because I am desperate. Most of my days are long and boring that I drag through them with sigh after sigh. Even the days that I call happy are randomly pierced with pain, realizing that I am laughing, standing on thin air. My problem is that I am not bonding with people. I do not make friends, not even with my relatives. I live in my own shell afraid to reveal my personality, to express my opinions, although it took me a long time to realize I am very shy. I blush at every little thing. I am like a person who can't swim, choking for life in a river. You are one of the very few people who see me struggle. All you have to do is give me a hand and put into words what you already know. No expenses are involved and there are no risks. I am sure one of your concerns, if you have gotten this far in the letter, is What if I am one of those criminals lurking around, but believe me, right now, I am not strong enough. Also, if I had no control over myself, 
I would not have made it to Harvard all the way from Ethiopia. All it takes is a few hours from your week and some energy. Me, I have nothing to lose. I am so desperate. Please do not close the door in my face. Even if you are not interested, please give this letter to a friend or relative who might be. Okay, so when you first started the letter, I was like, I would I would respond to this letter. I would never meet you in person, but we can be pen pals. You know what I mean? But now you've mailed me this letter, so you have my address. And if you feel rejected, what's going to happen? No harm, no aggression. Second thing, it got a little scamish in the middle there. All scammers say, please, no, you must believe me. This is not a scam, right? And she's like, no, I don't want to hurt you. or I'm not some criminal. Like, now you've you brought criminal into this situation, you know? So now you've got me on alert. And then maybe she's a little too open for the first letter. Maybe she would have been, like, searching for pen pals. Somebody would have been like, oh, that's cute and fun. And then maybe dwelled in from there. I think she just put a little too much. But I'd respond. We might have to forward the address somewhere, but I'd respond. I would not respond. No? No. I love getting letters, though. I love mail. Like, I... Yes. Like, I love seeing something in the mail and it's not a bill. I was about to say, that's all my mail is now. Somebody trying to give me a credit card or something. Like, I love letters. Allegedly, there's this woman that received this letter and was deeply concerned about the content. So she reached out to Harvard and was like, I think one of your students needs help. That's That's a good next action to do, too. Like... Very responsible. Very responsible. The school took the letter and placed it in Senadu's file, but there was no follow-up with Senadu. Um, so here's my issue with this, right? We are at the Harvard University. All this money, all these donors, big-ass libraries. Big-ass everything. Big-ass everything. And you cannot be bothered with looking at this. This letter sounds desperate as fuck. And you know, you knew what student's file it went to. You knew what student to address. So, like, there's there's no counselor whose job it is to follow up with the students. Oh, it gets worse. But I also read, depending on what sources that you're reading, some people say that that woman that sent the letter to be in her file, like, never exists. Some people say it does. Some people say it doesn't. And I'm like, I need to know the truth. Mm, it's all a cover up anyway. So we'll never really know. So I guess Harvard thought to themselves, like, you know what? These two young ladies, although from very different countries, they got similar backgrounds, so put them as roommates. Thinking, like, Harvard assigning roommates, okay, these girls come from these type of countries. You know what I'm saying? They're both here, like you said, doing pre-med. There's distinctions on how they got here and how long that they can stay, but there's a lot of similarities in their background. The school moved the girls into the Dunster house. Um, which is this big historic dormitory on campus. Both girls were pretty eager to live together. They met in a class before, like a science class, but they didn't really know each other that well. So it's like, okay, I don't know her, but she seemed cool in class. Like, let's hang out. But this really excited Sinadu. She quickly grew really fond of Trang, and she wrote letters in her diary that Trang was someone that she would make the queen of her life and that it was like a beautiful opportunity. So she was very, very excited about her new roommate which is also kind of like an unrealistic expectation i did some deep dive research about growing up with a lot of toxicity a lot of trauma and i came across this article by Janefe navillian where it states that long-term effects of growing up in toxic environments like a war zone is that you create these unrealistic expectations for the people around you and i think that's kind of what she was doing with train like i, I- definitely created some unrealistic 
expectations for people around me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Remember, Trang has a very thriving social life at this point. And she's a part of a lot of extracurriculars. And she also goes home every weekend to see her siblings and to, like, teach her younger sibling English. Despite the fact that there's a little bit of argument at home, she still wants to be there. She loves her family. Sinadu, on the other hand, did not have family to go see. That extended family, she really wasn't connecting with them. So she never really hung out with them. It also was reported that she hardly ever called home. That'd be very expensive. So especially in 93, like, y'all remember, y'all remember the calls? And if you like that one eight hundred C O L L E C T, and you can call collect. And if you're trying to do it real fast on a payphone, you remember that commercial? You didn't watch TV growing up, okay? No, I did not. <laughs> but I remember like having the calling cards because when I was in boarding school and didn't have a cell phone, you had to use the calling cards to call home. I remember, I remember being in the customer service section of Walmart, and my mom was trying to return something, and me and my sisters we would always play on the phone, and we we called nine one one collect, and they answered. And we hung up, and then they called Walmart back, and they was like, did someone call 911? And my mom looks over at the payphone, she's like, get your ass. I'm like, I didn't, know, I didn't know that worked like that. But, yeah, call and collect, it's expensive. But Sinadu, she started to, like, latch herself onto Trang. She became very needy, and she wanted them to be best friends. But Trang was like, look, sis, I've already been here for a year. I've already got a best friend. But we can still hang out. We're still cool. But they didn't live in two completely different worlds. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes they would go to the cafe together. They would eat. Sometimes they would run off campus to go out to eat. I'm sure they had to make Walmart runs together. So it wasn't like they were completely not. The roommate Walmart run, right? It was like, okay, who's got a car? How are we getting there? Right. At least there was some camaraderie between them. But, like, sometimes Sinadu would eat in the cafe by herself. I don't know. Did you eat in the cafe in college? Very rarely. You know, I don't like to eat out. Like, I'd rather eat in front of the tv so a lot of time i was taking my food home okay the calf is where it's at so you didn't go to an hbc you had to go to the calf if you were at the hbc because that's where you see everybody okay if, see that was our union our calf was in a we had a union too and the union was where the party were at anyways you just have your people that you go to the calf with and if somebody did not go to the calf would you like if you if i was like hey tazzy you ready to go to the calf and you was like oh i already went to the calf i would be furious like ultimate utmost betrayal <laughs> seriously especially especially like i don't know about i went to two hbcus and they were the same they're like do not go to the calf without me if you know that we're supposed to go to the calf together what the fuck am i gonna sit anyways <laughs> not only was Sinadu's social life going really down but she also was not doing well with her grades she was maintaining a b plus average which is really great for harvard but it's not enough to get into harvard med school even though I'm sure a B-plus average from Harvard can get you into plenty of other top med programs. But this was very hard for her. Remember, she came from being the top in the country. And now she's got a B. What are Bs? We don't do Bs. Never even heard of a B. Senator was going more and more jealous of Chang's relationship. And I think she's really just, like, heartbroken. Like, I just really want to connect with you. And you're getting everything that I want from you somewhere else. And it's like, why not me? Why am I not good enough? You know what I'm saying? Definitely taking all that on herself. And then she's studying like crazy, like trying to maintain this B plus average that's still not good enough for her. And then when she maybe finally has time, trains out with somebody else doing her own thing. And it's just like, it's feeling real. What about me? Right. But it's going back. Like it's those things even my elementary students that I teach okay 
Johnny doesn't want to play with you. He said, no, he does not want to play with you. What do you do? Are you mean to them? Or do you find somebody, one of the hundred other kids that want to play with you? But also, you also find yourselves in these situations when you just have one person. Like, I think everybody's glorifying the whole, I keep my circle small, no new friends or whatever. But if you just, she just has this one friend. So when that one friend is unavailable, she has nobody. She's putting a lot on this one person. And when she needs to reach out and have multiple friends, you know what I'm, and even when you have multiple friends, you ever had somebody, you know, we, I'm not a real sociable person. I talk to my family and I talk to you, you know what I'm saying? So I know I make them five phone calls and nobody pick up the phone. It's like, great. So nobody loves me. Everybody's busy. You know what I'm saying? So with her putting all this on one person, it's hard. It's hard making friends. It really is. Especially as an adult. Can we normalize that? Making friends as an adult is extremely hard all of my friends i either got from high school or college niggas share your friends everybody can be loved all right so Sinadu, she's like getting really desperate at this point and you know she's sent letters out to strangers she's like clinging on to trang for dear life and she's just like nothing's working i know something's wrong i'm incredibly sad what is life right now so she's like let me go get some help she goes to Harvard's Counseling and Mental Health Services. And you think, great, this is a great step that she's taking. She's putting her mental health first. And they say the counseling service were understaffed or backed up or whatever the fuck. But whatever excuse they gave, she could only meet once a month. Which is not enough. Now, I know we're living in a different time. But, okay, I went to Southern my freshman year. Excellent. Excellent disability service. Excellent mental health services. Like... From all the other schools I went to, nobody could match them, which was one of the reasons I chose to go there. You know what I'm saying? You could meet with a counselor once a week, twice a week if you wanted to. Yeah, but also that was in, when did we graduate high school? 2012 until whatever. That was not the same in 94. And as I'm saying, I know we're living in a different time, but even still, Georgia Southern in this day of age, like and, this much money and, and Harvard, Harvard, you know what I'm saying? Right. You still had the fucking money. Always. You you it's always had the goddamn added. money. You know what I'm saying? And so for Georgia Southern to be this good, they're not a huge, you know, big ass. They're they're a big school, but they're not this huge, renowned school with all this money pouring into it. So if they can at that time in 2013 or whatever have this quality ass service, Harvard, you could have did the fuck better. Especially since you have something on her file saying that she has been reaching out to help. Now she's coming you, to you in person saying I'm reaching out to help, and you're doing a monthly check in. And here's the thing, like, I feel like they should be doing something specifically for international students. Now you have to deal with racism in America on top of trying to figure out the language, on top of, on top of, like, figuring out customs, on top of figuring out school at an Ivy League. It's just too much. And then for y'all not to put, y'all put nothing back into her because she's sitting here searching for help and everybody's just ignoring her. Like, girl, you'll be all right. That's life. College is an adjustment. But despite all of this, to Sinadu's surprise, Trang was like, look, girl, we can room again in the fall. This was very surprising to Sinadu, but she wasn't going to ask any questions because she was very excited. Trang didn't do this because, like, she necessarily really wanted to room with Sinadu again. She was like, you know, we didn't have any beef. There was a little weirdness, but it's convenient. Like, I don't feel like moving my shit out. You don't feel like moving your shit out. We know where the bathroom is type of shit. Sinadu was like, yes, this is the year we are going to be best friends. 
forever. And Trang is like, girl, I still got Tao, who is my actual best friend. When Sinadu realizes that nothing's really changing, she used to be like really neat, keep everything in the room very nice. She just became nasty. Like, mm, that's a quick way to get somebody out your room is have a nasty roommate. I had a nasty roommate my freshman year. Oh, I had a nasty roommate my freshman year too. Oh, it was though. I think we used to call each other and complain about how nasty our roommates. The microwave would stink all the time. Never clean. The sh- there was like oodles and noodles just everywhere. And Cindy was pretty much doing the same thing, leaving fruit out so that flies would come, just not picking up after herself, just nasty. What happens is Trang ends up putting a sheet in the middle of their room. This is your side of the room. This is my side of the room. Don't bring your shit over here. I won't bring my shit over here. And it seemed like, you know, possibly that could have been a good idea. I don't really <laughs> possibly <fucking> not. <laughs> I think I tried to do that also in like boarding school when one of my roommates and I didn't get along. It doesn't work because in their room the bathroom was on one person's side of the room and the door to get out of the room was on another side of the room so you had to cross over no matter what so you're still going to be up in everybody's space at the end of fall of 94 Chang was like look i'm done with this don't know what the fuck is happening don't know what's going on so she puts in a request for a roommate change her request ended up being denied which it's very hard to get a roommate change because i always got my roommate changes approved but that's because i set up everyone was like here's all four of us she's gonna move here she's gonna move here we're gonna move here it's very hard to do a roommate change request especially in the middle of semester so they went ahead and denied it so it's spring 95 and trang is doing everything in her power to not stay in the dorm and so she's like i'm gonna stay at my parents house i'm gonna stay at my friends kristen went through a situation like this one time like her other sister oh yeah my other sister she was having i don't know some type of issues or whatever and she was not i know maybe it was one of krista's friends it was krista's friends and would stay with krista all the time and she was like so her mama paying for an apartment that she not staying at she is basically just avoiding her place at all costs and sinudu is becoming more and more upset and desperate and she's confused like what's happening with this relationship with her so-called best friend and she ends up writing trying a letter begging for them to like really just be friends and stay roommates and Chang responds I respect you so you should respect my decision furthermore your actions about what happened really hurt me if I had neither care nor think of you as a friend it would have not hurt me and she ended it saying despite what happened I hope we can still be friends so still Chang is being very respectful to her you know seems like a real nice kid honestly she seemed really sweet from everything that I read about her so finally, she has to sit Sinudu down and she's like, listen, next semester, I've already asked one of my friends if they want to be my roommate and they agreed. So this situation, it's, it's over with, you know, no hard feelings, but this is the end of the road. And Sinudu is not having it. She starts yelling and screaming, crying and pleading with Trang. And Trang is like, mm, it's pretty much official at this point. And I heard that Trang tried to leave the dorm while Sinadu was upset, but Sinadu just followed her, like begging and pleading for them to be roommates in the fall. They're inching closer and closer towards the end of the year, and Sinadu is spiraling. In her mind, there's only one solution to her problem, and as always, she expressed them in her journal. She wrote in her diary, On the way to depression and battered with pessimistic thoughts, I am unlovable and a cuckoo. Trang told me I am boring. I felt like I'm boring her. If I ever grow desperate enough to seek power, and a fearful respect for killing, she would be the first one I would blow off. You know what annoys me the most? That situations would never reverse for me to be strong and her to be weak. She'll live on tucked in the warmth and support of her family while I cry alone in the cold. The bad way out I see is suicide. 
And the good way out is killing, savoring their fear, and then suicide. But you know what annoys me the most? I do nothing. I don't understand. If you already have plans of taking your own life, why do you have to take the others? I think it's because in her mind, like, they are meant to be together. together. I don't think it's even in a romantic way. I don't even think she's seeking romance from her. Okay, so you know how sometimes you're not really from the hood, but you can see the hood across the way because the hood is right over there. That makes you hood adjacent. And my girl Patricia, who is the CEO, not the CEO, the CEO of her family's company, Hood Adjacent Tees, they are just that. They are for Baltimore and they are making t-shirts for everybody. A t-shirt that is holy that you can wear to church and also a t-shirt that you can wear around the way. This is a t-shirt company for everyone. Not only do they have some amazing designs that you can choose from, but you can customize it and make it your own. Whatever you need, they got you, okay? And y'all, I am checking out their Juneteenth designs and they look so good. Y'all better go ahead and put your orders in now for those Juneteenth designs or any design that you need. And if you're buying a shirt from my girl, guess what? You know we got a discount code for you. Type in SWK when you're checking out. That's SWK, just like Sisters Who Kill, so that you can get 20% off. That's 20 20% off your order. Now you know my girl Patricia, who is the director of dopeness, is going to make sure that y'all have the hookup. So if you are in the discussion group, oh, you just need to be on the lookout because a giveaway is happening. That's right. My girl Patricia is hooking y'all up. So make sure that you're in the discussion group so you can see that secret giveaway and go ahead and spend a couple dollars with her with that 20% off using SWK. All of her information will be in the description box below. And now back to the show. It's May 23rd, 1995, and the editors at Harvard Crimson, the school newspaper, were sent an anonymous letter and a photograph. The photo was of Sinadu, but it wasn't just any picture. It was all glammed up, a beauty shot almost, you know? So no one in the office knew who this person was, but the typewritten note came with a photo and it said, keep this picture. There will soon be a very juicy story involving the person in this picture. And the people in the office, they looked at the picture for a while, but nobody knew who she was. And days went by and they was like, ah, fuck it. And they threw it in the trash. And I was like, that's that. Like, no story came across our desk. Like, I guess who the fuck bullshit. is this? Yeah. And they couldn't. She wasn't popular. They didn't know who it was. So, May 28th, 1995. May has come, which means final season in college, of course. During finals week, Sinadu had already missed three of her final exams, which missing a final do you know how hard those are to reschedule you talk about giving your whole semester and then failing right at the very end for no reason well exactly but it's very concerning especially for Sinadu but no one was checking up on her because she had no friends and none of her professors reported that she didn't show up for the exam I guess maybe they didn't grade them yet and they were just like here here's your scantrons big Harvard style you know they don't really know who's in the class and who's not in the class so Sinadu is just laid up in her room, really not talking, staring at the ceiling, writing in her journal, doing plotting, whatever. And then so finally that night, Train comes home with her best friend, you know, the actual BFF Tao. And they get in her, you know, their bed, you know, those twin XLs. And they're laying head to foot, very sleepover style. All right. So everyone sleep in a dark dormitory and suddenly an alarm goes off. The best friends wake up, but Train said that it was Sinadu's alarm and the girls go back to sleep. Next thing you know, Chang's BFF Tao sees Sinadu standing over them with a glazed look over her face. She has a wooden foldable knife in her hand and she is stabbing Chang in the face. Freaking out, Tao puts her hands up and she tries to stop the blade from coming. She ends up grabbing the blade and when Sinadu pulls it back out, her palms are sliced, leaking with blood. 
With gashed hands, Tao realizes she cannot stop Sinadu on her own and she runs out the room down the hall screaming for help. The only thing is, she forgot. Dorm rooms lock automatically from the inside. Her friend was locked in the room with her attacker. She's running through the dorms. No one's there and she runs out to the courtyard and she finally gets a hold of someone and rushes to call campus police. When campus police arrives, they open the dorm room to a horrendous scene. Trang was stabbed a total of 45 times in the face, neck, chest, and legs. By the way her body was laying, you could tell that at some point she had tried to get up and walk towards the door, but there was something missing. There was no synodus. So police are looking around and they're like, okay, we only have one last place to check, the shared bathroom. Police go to open up the bathroom, but the bathroom is barricaded in. So they're like, okay, she must be in here. Police get together, they work to open the door, and that's where they find Sinadu's body hanging from a homemade noose. After news of the story breaks out, the editors at the Harvard Crimson, they had to go through the trash to find the picture that they found to determine that the photo that they got was, in fact, Sinadu. Both girls were taken and laid to rest by their families. After the crime scene was picked up, Sinadu's journals were collected, and you can see in those journals that she was going through it. As this is all going on, like, after the death, they're, like, trying to investigate it. But now, Harvard can use all the money to shut everybody up and make everybody not talk. They're not just letting this go easy. They're like, okay, you say this girl was sick and reaching out, but what did you, Harvard, do? And Harvard is like, listen, if she lived, y'all would not be fighting this hard for her. And so college is very much you're learning to be an adult, but college is also very much there's somebody here to help you along the way. Right. This was a bad year for Harvard. I I saw that that same year they got in trouble because somebody was stealing money from one of the organizations, like a hundred and five thousand dollars. So like they were just blocking staff from talking to newspapers. And, you know, I think to the point of if she was alive, would they would they put it all on Harvard or would they put it all on her? I think that's a very good question. You know what I'm saying? Because I do think had she made it out alive, she would have been vilified. She definitely would have. There needs to be a way for international students to ensure that they are equipped to come to America. Not just academically, because clearly they have that, but like socially. Okay, in college, I had to take international business, right? And a lot of what they teach you is when you go to another country, you have to learn their customs. Like what I say about like personal space or whatever, that's different in every country. Some people, it's rude for you to stand back. And some people, it's rude for you to stand close. Some people, it's rude for you to wave. Some people, it's rude for you to burp. And some people, that's a compliment. You know what I'm saying? There's so many distinct cultural differences that you have to put into effect. And nobody is making sure that they're okay and adjusting well, especially those who have come into the country later in life. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing if you come young, you grew up with these customs. But even in high school, you you, you kind of are who you are at that point. I mean, if you're in America, you're adjusting moving from the south to the north. So think about in the same general. Country. Could you imagine you moving to Utah right now? No. It, it's so <laughs> different. And it's still here in the country. So moving into a totally different country with totally different customs, all of that. It's just. It's a lot to put on a person, a young student, and she's crying out for help. And everybody was like, oh, she's quiet. And you just wonder if this was a little white girl crying out for help, would it be dismissed? It's like black women have to take on more pain. Like, you know, they don't hear black women when they're in pain. We're supposed to take it. I don't went to the doctor and they told me I had an unrealistic expectation of comfort. What the fuck is that? All right, y'all. I guess it's time for. Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. 
I didn't do it. But if I did, this is how I would have done it. I really like what you said about the letter, the initial letter to the strangers and just not being as detailed. I really, I'm trying to pinpoint, but when you... At what point could she have been saved and at what point could we have turned it around? Right, like, I'm... I think maybe if she would have made it, wait until you've built a relationship, maybe the fourth letter, be like, you know what? It's been great getting to know you because I have been going through so much and it's just not, you know, at that point, it's like, oh, this girl really needed a friend. Come in light and then bring the heavy. Just You can't just come heavy because it just feels like a lot. And also, y'all don't ever know what somebody is going through. Like, whether they're just quiet and shy or happy-go-lucky. Like, you never know what turmoil that person is dealing with on the inside. Like, I appreciate that Trang, you know, treated her nice and kind or whatever. But the people who were supposed to do their jobs didn't. So I think that instead of going after Trang, she should have went after the people who are actually set to be in charge of her mental health. You know what I'm saying? By the time that she reached out for help, she was already in the depths. You know, I definitely think that there should have been some more accountability for all the adults there. I just wish something would have happened before it. Nobody should have had to die. Not in this story. Like, I mean, not in a lot of stories, but, like, especially this one. Like, I don't think we've had a case so far where it's so much cry for help. Like, literally, help me, help me, help me, help me. She reached out to her roommates, to her counseling service, to strangers, to anybody. And everybody just decided it wasn't important enough or wasn't their problem to deal with. And so that just reinforced her anxiety of saying that I'm nobody. I'm cuckoo. I'm... I'm a freak like all of those things it just reinforced that for her really somebody should have been like no you're perfect like let's let's have a conversation let's and I feel like Trang tried to be that and because it's like when you have daddy issues you're like oh this man is treating me like shit like I'm 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 horrible so the first nigga that treats you nice you're like you're it don't let this not so great example define your value and what you can get you can get the very best you deserve the very best but I think that's also what I like about this generation like Yes, it's a lot of social media and stuff, but it's also a lot of people on there saying, bitch, you're beautiful. This fat girl is beautiful. This dark-skinned girl is beautiful. This uh, uh, vitiligo girl is beautiful. Everything that we were taught that was ugly, social media is sitting here bigging it up like, you can't tell her she's not fine. You know what I'm saying? There was this guy that like bought his mom a really old car on Twitter. I mean, it was like, it wasn't a hoopty, but you know, an older Honda. But first of all, Honda's a great car. And, and he was like, it's not a Bentley or anything like that, but I finally bought my mama's a car. No, nigga. You bought your mama a car. And that's that all that fucking mattered. When social media was first starting, it was... Oh, yeah. It was nasty. It was a lot of bullying. You didn't see this type of upliftment. And I think with this generation, they're like, girl, be normal. Even, even our discussion group, they was like, listen, I like your rent. You know, we've all been there. And it's just like, you don't have to feel so alone. And I wonder if she had today's social media in that time. She could have, like, went on Twitter and been like, I'm dying here. And somebody, you know what I'm saying? If you got the right algorithms on your Twitter or whatever, somebody will reach out she and just, be like, girl, you're okay. The Tumblr and it would have like been a Tumblr thread. And it's like, I'm not so alone. Like, exactly, exactly. It's just very unfortunate. I wish somebody was there to look out for her. I wish people were there to look out for her. I don't even want to say somebody. Because I feel like Trang did the best she could. But to be solely responsible for somebody's feelings, especially at that young age. Let's move into the next segment. Let's say this is how the story ended. We're going to put an alternate ending in here, okay? Okay, Clue. So what happened was when the cops got there, she had tried to hang herself, but they got there in time and they were able to bring her back to life. So she survives, right? They were able to give her CPR. She survives. How do you think this goes? I think she would have still been in life. 
Do you think she would have got life? Oh, for sure. Because the conversations around mental health in 1995 are not, even though it was. But 90- insanity plea was still a thing. I feel like any lawyer can argue that insanity plea. You can. She'll be able to argue argue insanity, but. I don't think that she would have gotten far just because of the magnitude of this crime. So I don't think she would have got life. I think she I think she probably would have been put into maybe a, a few years in an institute, like start off in an institution, finish off in jail, maybe 10 years. You know what I'm saying? If we're being harsh. But I just feel like it's too much evidence there showing that they're lacking. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. She, I think she would have been made a martyr for mental health, honestly. Somebody would have used that case as an opportunity to shed life on mental health and she would have been a spokesperson. I think I think that she could have, on the right circumstances, she can really, she could get a better deal out of that. She can maybe even see no time. So this one is titled, Given What Needed to Be Gave. You guys are awesome. My new favorite podcast. I've heard of other true crime shows, but this one is strictly black women, and that's what stands out the most to me. I'm at the point where I'm replaying old episodes. LOL, I know you guys get busy, but the girls need more. Take your time, though. It's always worth the weekly wait. Thank you. Thank you. Telling y'all, we are brainstorming how to give y'all more, and it will come in time. Just hang in there. I promise it will. All right, so this one is from We're Not Dating, He's Just My Date. Ah! And We're Not Dating, He's Just My Date said, When I tell y'all this is the best podcast out here, I am so serious. Each episode gets better and better. The stories they cover are unique. They're blackity black, black. Yes. They're hilarious. I can't wait till they start a Patreon so I can give them all my coins. Yes. Listen, we are, I told Tazzy, I was like, look, there's got to be something on the Patreon, but you might have to start showing your face more. You know, we might have to start giving the girls what they want. So, and if y'all want a Patreon, DM us. Tell, Tell us, us what, what you want. Okay, so we have some ideas. Right. We're, like we said before, we are very new to this thing, but we are trying to give you the things that you want. So give us some ideas. Talk to us on all of the things. Mariah, let's go. I <laughs> I only check Twitter, but you're mostly talking to Taz on Twitter at Sisters Who Kill. You can follow us on Instagram at Sisters Who Kill Pod. You can follow us on TikTok at Sisters Who Kill Podcast. You can, if you feel like, you know, a donation in your space, Spirit. Mm-hmm. You can cash app us with that little money sign, Sisters Who Kill Pod. If you want to email us about ad space, suggestions, what you want on the Patreon, ad just space, to say, hey. just to say, hey, girl, we, we talk here. back. I promise one of us will email you back. You can email us at Sisters Who Kill Podcast at gmail.com. Um, Drink your water, put on some deodorant. It's hot out here. All right, bye, friends.